Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online, later on demand, or listening to our podcast, our prayer is for you to experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. We're just like you, imperfect people on a journey. We're allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives, learning to live like him, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers, well, this is still a great place a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking those same questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Well, I was sifting through the feedback I'd received after teaching a group of worship leaders about worship. For 20 years now, I've been a part of a group of local worship leaders who come together to pull off an amazing national worship conference right here at Dayspring. Every February, worship teams from all over the place, but mostly here in the Northwest, gather together to learn how to do whatever they do better. Uh, whether it's playing bass, drums, keys, guitar, singing, anything tech, lights, sound, video. Uh, these friends are striving for excellence in their craft as they serve their churches in Jesus' name. And somehow, I get to be a part of it all. So I was sifting through the feedback and I came across a note that simply said, Chris should write a book about this. That was it. And as honored as I felt... I laughed. Because who am I to write a book? What do I have to offer? I haven't been to seminary. I don't have a degree in music or worship or whatever. My only credentials are that I take God's word seriously. Which was how I knew that God wasn't laughing. He was waiting for me to stop so I could hear his voice when he said, Well, Chris, what are you going to do? Now, most of you know the end of the story because you know that I did actually write that book. But what you might not know is that I wrote it under duress. I wrestled with God over the whole idea for about a year before I even started. Uh, even though I know that God always wins when you wrestle with him about something. Well, except that one time he tied with Jacob back in the book of Genesis. But I'm no Jacob, so there was never any doubt that God would win. But I wasn't going to make it easy on him, that's for sure. Then, with the help of my friend Lori, who is still making what I write sound better, I spent the next year writing and editing. When it was done, I sat down with God and I said, there, I've done what you told me to do, here's my offering, the rest is up to you. My life has never been the same since. 
That moment of surrender, as clumsy as it was, has left me changed in ways that I'm still grappling to understand. Probably because that moment is still changing me. But that's exactly what faith does. It changes us. Today we are wrapping up this short series we've called Stuck, Get Back in the Race. We were designed to have a deeply devoted, intimate relationship with the God of the universe. The kind of relationship that is always growing and changing as we become more and more like Jesus. In a perfect world, we would never get stuck. Sadly, we don't live in a perfect world. We are imperfect people trying to become like Jesus imperfectly. Which means that everybody gets stuck. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody. It isn't only you. It doesn't matter whether you are a spiritual infant or a spiritual adult. We all get stuck every now and then. We get distracted. We get too busy. We allow fear to overwhelm us. We tend to cling to what is comfortable, even if what is comfortable is hurting us in the long run. I'm convinced that comfortable is the biggest enemy of spiritual growth. And maybe uh, it's running neck and neck with a few others, but who doesn't like to be comfortable? Comfortable feels like control, as in I am in control of my life. And don't we all prefer life that is under control? So we get stuck. That isn't the problem, really. Since everybody gets stuck every now and then, that's not the problem. The problem is staying stuck. The problem is getting comfortable with being stuck. The problem is getting comfortable and not realizing you're just stuck. Stuck isn't the kind of life God has called us to live. In fact, just the opposite is true. Let's look at these words from the Apostle Peter again. Uh, he put it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1. He writes, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really uh, are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, to be clear, we make every effort and work hard to prove not to earn our salvation or our right standing with God. Jesus did that for us on the cross. But once we choose to believe in Jesus and surrender our lives to him, make every effort and work hard to prove should motivate us in our efforts to become like Jesus. Now we covered all of this the first week of the series, so if you missed it, I recommend watching it for better context. As we discovered then, to believe in the Bible requires more than just intellectual agreement. I believe in my head that this stool will hold me if I sit on it. But until I actually sit on it, it isn't belief from the Bible's perspective. Belief requires action. The Hebrew language 
is a task-oriented language, meaning that the words of the Hebrew language developed around the kinds of everyday tasks that would be relevant to their nomadic lifestyle, which would include a life lived in tents. So in Hebrew, the word for believe is aman. It is a verb, which means that it is an action word, that literally means to stand firm, to trust, to be certain, to believe in. It is the same word that is used to describe a tent peg or stake being driven into the, a firm place to hold the tent in place. So when Genesis 15, 6 tells us that Abraham believed God, it means that like a tent peg holds the tent firmly in place, even in a storm, Abraham will stand firmly with God through the storms of life. And remember, it's a verb, so it requires action. It isn't passive support. He will be firm in his obedience to God. Now, there is another word that we use interchangeably with belief that I want to focus on for the rest of this message. But though we use it interchangeably with belief, in Hebrew, these words aren't the same words, which means that they have different meanings. That word is faith. In English, we might say, I believe in God or I have faith in God. And for us, they mean pretty much the same thing. We are basically saying, I know that God exists and that he will do what he says he will do. But in Hebrew, the word for faith is enuma. It literally means firmness, steadfastness, fidelity. Like believe, it is also a verb that means support. Okay, so on the surface, two pretty similar words. But here's where it gets interesting. Just like aman has a deeper cultural meaning in the context of Israel, so does enuma. And the difference is pretty important. Jeff Benner of the Ancient Hebrew Research Center writes, the Western concept of faith places the action uh, uh, of the one you have faith in, uh, such as faith in God. But the Hebrew word places the action on the person who supports God. It is not a knowing that God will act, but rather I will do what I can to support God. Now, let me give you an example that I think will help. Uh, way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, the Israelites were busy roaming around the desert for 40 years. And while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow, I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Okay, now in this scenario, from a Western perspective, we would say that we had faith in Moses. After all, it was his arms holding the staff that was making all the difference on the battlefield. 
but it is the support, the enuma of Aaron and her as they held Moses' arms that was faith in action, not Moses himself. So when we say, I have faith in God, we really should be thinking, I will do what I can to support God. Enuma is faith that results in my faithfulness. That is biblical faith. Now, by the time we get to the early church, the nuanced difference between these two words begins to get lost. And we see them used more and more interchangeably. In Greek, the language of the early church, there wasn't a word that described or conveyed the same kind of meaning as faith. So they used the word pistis, which unlike the two uh, words in ancient Hebrew, shares the, Greek, the same Greek root with the word believe. There is some debate about whether pistis really meant religious faith as we think of it at the time that they started using it or whether it came to mean faith because the early church adopted it for that purpose. But certainly, even though the nuance has been lost, the intention of the New Testament writers is the same. So clearly, these two Old Testament words are close enough in meaning that when we use them interchangeably, we aren't committing heresy. But for today, I'd like to draw a distinction between belief and faith. Amen and enuma. So let's put it this way for now. Belief saves us from something. Uh, when we believe in Jesus, we are saved from eternal death. Belief is the anchor of our relationship with Jesus. It is the stake in the ground, the amen, that marks the beginning of our relationship with Christ. But where belief anchors us, faith calls us to something. Faith calls us to support, to enuma what God is doing in and around us. We make every effort. We work hard to prove. We sacrifice. We become. We serve to advance the kingdom of God in this world. This means that comfortable, that thing we all enjoy and want more of, it's okay to admit it here, I want to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable financially. I want, to be, I want to live comfortably. I want a nice, controlled, secure, comfortable life. But comfortable is the opposite of faith. Aiming for comfortable will always lead us to stuck. We'll always hit a ceiling in our spiritual growth. Because, don't miss this, spiritual growth happens in the land of faith. Spiritual growth happens when I step out of my comfort zone. I believe and in faith, I am going to support the work he is doing in and around me. Spiritual growth happens in the unknown. Because that's where it's do or die. God has to show up or it's not going to work. I don't really need God for comfortable. I can handle that pretty well on my own. But I need God in the land of faith. And it's in the land of faith that we grow the best. Now, with this new understanding of faith, let's look at a couple of well-known verses about faith in the New Testament. First up, we have Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith chapter in the Bible. It lists some of the people who have gone before us uh, and how they proved their faith. Verse 6 says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You know, it isn't only 
our tendency to aim for comfortable that hinders our faith. It's also our fear. Our fear of failure, our fear of doing the wrong thing at the right time or the right thing at the wrong time, fear of not knowing enough, not being enough, fear of making mistakes, or in my case, my fear of making missnakes. As many of you already know, after I published the book I wrote out of obedience, God began opening doors for me to travel and talk about worship. As I mentioned in the first message of this series, that led Joaquin and me to the headwaters of the Amazon in Peru to explore possible worship collaborations. Uh, and while we were there, we took a tour of the area by boat. We talked about that three weeks ago. Our tour made two stops along the way. The first stop led us to a demonstration of the celebrations of some of the native peoples in the area. There was dancing and singing, and since I was clearly the jefe, the boss, the, the natives, I was coerced into joining the natives as they danced around the room. Fortunately, those pictures are tightly controlled by the National Secrets Act. <laughs> I will say that I kept my clothes on. I can't say the same for all of the natives, and that's why you'll never see those pictures. But that will explain the makeup under my eyes at our second stop, which was a very rustic petting zoo. Uh, nothing was off limits to being held. At each enclosure, we were invited by our host to enter the cage and pet and hold the animals to get up close and personal. The turtles were pretty cool. Uh, there were several birds native to the Amazon. Macaws are heavier and bigger than I thought, and it was cool to have one land on my shoulder. I even held a baby sloth, Dee Dee's spirit animal. <laughs> and then we got to the monkeys. They had ugly monkeys and cute monkeys. The cutest was this little two-month-old baby monkey. I really wanted to bring him home. I knew my kids would love him. And then we came to the snakes. Of course there were snakes. I don't know what I was thinking. I've hated snakes since I was in the fourth grade. That summer at church camp, my best friend and I were working to dam up the river to make it deeper to play in. And while I was bending over to put a rock in place, he decided to kick a water snake over the dam. He missed. The dam, that is. He missed the dam and the snake landed right across the back of my neck. And all of a sudden, I was sporting a Gucci snake necklace. It doesn't matter that it was a three-foot water snake. It doesn't matter that it wasn't poisonous. I've hated snakes since that moment. I hate snakes. What happens when you are in a petting zoo with Joaquin in the Amazon basin where there are no rules and regulations and you get to big old gross 10-foot sons of Satan? <laughs> of course Joaquin wants to hold one. Not me. No way. Uh-uh. And then as I was taking pictures of big old brave Joaquin, God spoke to my spirit. He said, really? You're going to let fear keep you from this experience? When will you ever be back here again? Sometimes I hate it when God speaks to me like that. I am perfectly comfortable not holding a snake. But I found it's much easier to obey God than to argue with him. So, of course, 
I held the damned, in the biblical sense, snake. Read the book of Genesis if you don't know what I mean. <laughs> Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith steps into the unknown, steps into fear, believing that God is already at work, believing that he qualifies the called and I am called, believing that he has my back, even if my good isn't good enough. He'll, he'll fill in the gaps and make it perfect. Faith isn't content to sit on the sidelines watching other people experience God's life-changing presence in new and exciting ways. Faith just wants to be a part of what he's doing wherever, whenever, however. On another trip to South America, this time to Argentina, we found ourselves at another zoo. This one about an hour out of Buenos Aires in the city of Lujan. What was so unique about this zoo is that you can go into the cages with the lions and tigers. At zoos in North America, you can only see these majestic animals from a distance. The zoos don't want the visitors to become food for the animals, but not in Lujan. So we waited in line for about two hours, two long hours. And when it was our turn, we walked into the cage with four fully grown tigers. And we got to pet them. And they drank milk from the palm of our hands. Clearly, we got pictures. Apparently, they don't mind getting their picture taken. You know, until you've been face-to-face -face with a fully grown tiger, it's hard to understand how large they really are, how awesome their presence is. It was incredible to be within eating distance of some of the amazing creatures that God created. And it made us wonder if Adam and Eve hadn't walked with tigers and lions when they were in the Garden of Eden. You know what's really interesting about these tigers? They don't know they're tigers. They, they, they don't know. They think they're dogs. You see, they're raised from birth with dogs. And over time, they begin to take on the mannerisms of dogs. In fact, when they are young and get nippy, like you'd expect a tiger cub to do, the mama dog nips at their noses to get them to stop, to teach them that biting isn't okay. Over time, the natural instincts that make them fierce creatures in the wild are trained out of them. It's sad, really. They never get to experience life the way God created them to be. The enemy of our souls wants us to believe that we are dogs. He prowls around like a lion. That is, he impersonates a lion. But he is not a lion. He is the great pretender who wants us to think he is more than he is in order to intimidate us into believing that we are less than God created us to be. Faith unleashes us. And in that unleashing, we can't help but get out of our comfortable rut and grow. Belief is the anchor in our relationship with Christ. Faith calls us to something more. In the second letter to the church in Thessalonica, Paul says this, So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power 
to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Now, I find this prayer fascinating. May God bless every act of faith. That's what he's saying here. May God bless every act of faith. You know what he's not saying? He's not saying, may God bless your safe, comfortable life. May God bless every act that your faith prompts you to do. When it comes to the way we support God through our faith, there is a lot of freedom for us to play around with. If God is moving in you to do something, do it. Many of you know Kevin and Danielle Dial. They are fixtures around here. And for years and years and years, they've had a heart to bless, especially kids with less than supportive and encouraging backgrounds. When you get to know their family, it's hard to know which kids are theirs by blood and which are theirs by choice. There's just too many of them. As a side note, I had a dream last month that I was on a trip with their entire family. It was a nightmare, actually. <laughs> but they'd love it. In this season of their lives, Danielle wants to bless kids in the foster system uh, with clothes. Often kids enter the system with just the clothes on their backs. So she, with the help of Liz Bissand, are, are, they're putting together a foster kid clothing store. You know what they didn't do when they started? They didn't come ask me for permission. They just did it. In faith. They want to bless kids in Jesus' name, which I believe is fantastic. May God bless every act that your faith prompts in you. Here's the picture I'm trying to paint today. No one grows best when they are comfortable. No one. Comfortable means I am in control of my life. I have everything under control, so I don't really need God to show up. I've got enough money in the bank. I've got a comfortable marriage. My kids aren't spinning out of control. I got a secure job. I got this. There really isn't any room left for God in that kind of picture. Comfortable equals stuck. God calls us to live lives of adventurous faith where we are so dependent on him that, if we, that we fail if he doesn't show up. Those kinds of lives lead to spiritual maturity. Faith-filled adventures grow you up. Everybody gets stuck. We all do. That's not the problem. The problem is staying stuck. So when I get too comfortable in some area of my life, I think, what would faith call me to here? Where can I intentionally put myself in a risky faith position? For the record, I've been trying to come, become a, like Jesus for a long time. So what is risky faith for me requires bigger steps than it used to, than it might for you. And that's okay. God will meet you where you are and not expect you to be where I am. But every time you experience God's faithfulness as you take steps of faith the bigger step of faith it takes next time. Because you have a track record that is building a strong foundation for next time. Let me give you a couple of really practical, tangible examples. Years and years ago, I was stuck in my Bible reading. I was just reading it, but didn't know how to let it read me. 
I didn't really get much out of it, to be honest. And if I missed a day or two or ten, I felt guilty, but not enough to miss, to not miss a day or two or ten. I mean, I was comfortably stuck. But I knew God was calling me to something more. So in faith, I tried something new. I got a journal, which was a big deal because I wasn't a journal person at the time. And I learned how to let the Bible read me. It's really easy. It was just a simple act of faith. That the word of God was actually living and active and God wanted to make it living and active in me. And it completely changed the way I experienced God's word. In another area of my relationship with Jesus, Didi and I have been tithing, true tithing, not just tipping, for a long time. When we started tithing, it was pretty scary because we hoped God would show up and make the 90% we ended up living on enough. But we hadn't experienced that yet, so we weren't really sure. Now, it takes no faith to trust God with 10%. He's just come through so many times, so we don't give 10% anymore. We give more. We give just enough that I get heartburn every now and then. (laughs) It's not comfortable. And that's okay because God is using my faith to grow me up. So in what part of your life are you stuck? You're probably stuck somewhere. We We are all too human and without intentionality we drift toward comfortable. So where are you stuck? And what might faith look like in that area? Let your belief anchor you and your faith call you to something greater. The summer I turned 50. Surprise! Yes, I'm in my 50s. Even though I, we all know I look much younger. But it's true. <laughs> I'm in my 50s. But the summer I turned 50, my beautiful wife decided to surprise me for my birthday. After she made sure my life insurance was paid up, uh, she gave me the gift of jumping out of an airplane. It's amazing, really. You can buy anything, including the privilege of jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. For years, I thought it would be fun to try it, but I've also been a little scared to do it. I mean, what if I die? But then after you've held a big python and lived, what more is there to fear? My friend Tony, Pastor Michelle's husband, went with me. Most people might be nervous about jumping out of a plane, but I can honestly say I wasn't afraid. While we waited at the airport, we watched lots of people land safely. So I knew the chances of actually dying were pretty slim. I wasn't sure that I'd feel the same way when the plane was in the air. It's easy to be brave when you have both feet on the ground. We flew up to 8,000 feet. And from the moment we jumped, we were free falling for 60 seconds at 120 miles per hour. And then our parachute opened, and we gently glided down the rest of the way. I know that words don't do it justice, so I brought some video. There are no words to describe how it feels when you are free-falling at 120 miles per hour. There is nothing else like it. All of your adrenaline is rushing through your body. And you feel more alive than you ever have before. Whenever I talk to people about skydiving, I get uh, one of two responses. Either they say, I'd like to try that. Or they say, never, no way, I'd never do it. 
there seems to be no middle ground where people say, hmm, maybe. <laughs> but what an experience. You know, the reality is, the only thing I did to survive jumping out of an airplane was to hang on. No one is going to let some guy like me jump out of an airplane without help. I jumped in tandem with an expert. He did all the work. I just held on and enjoyed the rush. The same is true in our spiritual lives. We never jump alone. God is with us every time. He's the one doing all the hard stuff. We're, we're just there to support him with a rousing amen. So what's the risk, really? The risk is that after all this, you decide to stay stuck, to stay comfortable. That's the risk. God is calling you to a life that says yes to something greater than stuck. Yes makes a better story. And I promise you, when the, when the end of your life comes and the story of your life is told, you'll want that better story. Imagine if I'd said no to writing a book. Then I wouldn't have gone to the Amazon at all. What if I'd said no to holding a snake? I could have held a snake, but I didn't. I could have fed a tiger out of the palm of my hand, but I didn't. I could have jumped out of an airplane, but I didn't. There'd be no story. Every great story begins with yes. God invited Noah to build an ark. He said yes. God invited Moses to lead his people to freedom. He said yes. God invited Gideon to conquer Israel's oppressors. After making sure that it really was God talking, Gideon said yes. David said yes. Solomon said yes. Isaiah said yes. Jeremiah said yes. God invited Hosea to marry a prostitute. He said yes. Jesus invited Peter to get his feet wet. He said yes and walked on the water. We are all Christ followers because the Apostle Paul said yes. Every great story begins with yes. God is inviting you to participate in his great story for you. We all have one just waiting to be written for the glory of our king. But comfortable will never get you there. Only faith. Say yes. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you call us to something greater than ourselves. Call us to live for something greater than ourselves. Father, in, in moments like these, we just have to be honest and say that we, we don't do very good at stepping out in faith most of the time. We like comfortable. We like to be comfortable. And we don't realize how that gets in the way. So, Father, awaken in us the faith to step into the unknown. For some people in the room today, some people watching online, that unknown might even be just saying yes to Jesus for the very first time. That's the start of the best adventure of your life. All you have to do is say yes. I believe in Jesus. 
I believe that he made it possible. Father, do your perfect work in us as we step out in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's Word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. The people who called Dayspring their home church make this ministry possible. Their faithful giving is proof of God's work in their lives, and they want to pay it forward so you can experience the same life-changing presence of Jesus. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God would give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of His kingdom. And one more thing. Thank you for liking, sharing, and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.